everyone. I'm your host, Sherry Carroll. And I'm your host, Trey Carroll. And welcome to Crime Explorer Shack. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Sherry Carroll. And I'm your co-host, Trey Carroll. And welcome to Season 1, Episode 1. This is about the Florida School for Boys, which later became known the Dozier School for Boys. So, uh, Trey, have you heard about the Florida School for Boys? I've heard a little bit about it, not not a whole lot, but I I heard a little bit from you and Dad when y'all were talking about it a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it's in Mariana. Um, I know you heard your dad talk about when he was little, him and uh, your Aunt Becky used to go look at the Christmas lights that the boys would um, put up every Christmas. Um, they would do a drive-through and look at all the beautiful Christmas decorations. So um, I've heard several people talk about that was one of the things that they look forward to every Christmas. So uh, have you heard any other things about it? Um, not really. I mean, I heard um, about some of the cases of abuse that went on there, but other than that, not really. It's, for some reason, it's kept pretty quiet or not really spoken about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this one has really intrigued me um, because it was open for 111 years. Um, it closed in 2011. And um, when it closed, there was um, a lot of bodies of little boys found out there so um i was like what in the world this is right here in our own backyard so i wanted to look look into it so um i wanted to give a little bit of backstory um about that and um you know then tell why we wanted to do this podcast i was going to just do one episode on it but it became such a big story I said you know what this is going to take more than one episode um, because the more I looked into it the bigger it became um, I wanted to talk to some of the people involved and um, then it started weighing on my heart and um, the more I talked to the people the more I felt drawn to the story I actually um, went to the school last week, uh, took some pictures, uh, was there on the grounds. So um, I know I showed you some of the pictures. So uh, what did you think about that? 
the pictures were very cool and being nice. If I know they've got it boarded up, so you probably can't get inside of it, but um, just based off of like the stories and kind of like the background information you gave it kind of reminds me a lot of like some of the um, old school asylums that we read about in some of my um, classes at uh, school. They, um, they would put, I think it was in some, the Pennsylvania system of asylums they would take and they would uh, torture the prisoners and they would put like bags over their heads. So that way they couldn't get any human interaction. And the only times they could take them off would be like when they went to work or whatever. And they, if they spoke or anything while they were working, they were taken and beaten. Mm -hmm. And that happened all across the U S yeah, it was, it was terrible. Um, Yeah. These, a lot of the ones on um, the South side have been taken care of Um, in the South side of the facility was um, known um, as um, for Back, this was back during segregation, of course. Um, south side was for the white students. The north side of the facility um, was for um, the black students. Um, it has, since Hurricane Michael and everything, a lot of it was destroyed. It's fallen in. It's not been, the grounds have not been taken care of. Um, and it's since been, part of it's been fenced in and there is like an alternative school now inside of the fenced in area. Um, now the um, north side also has a cemetery on the premises known as the Boot Hill Cemetery. Um, Also, that's where the bodies had been found. Um, That's where the cemetery for the white and the black children was. Um, But we'll get into more of that later. So um, tell the listeners a little bit about you. Um, I'm a senior at the University of Alabama, I've been studying criminal justice and cybersecurity or cybercriminology. And I plan on going to law school or finding a job in one of those two related fields. Why does this podcast, criminal history, uh, true crimes, interest you? What well, kind of crimes interest you? Well, for the most part, like, any unsolved murders or anything really interests me. Um, true crime in general interests me. I love watching true crime shows. Um, I've listened to a lot of true crime podcasts, um, talked about a couple of unsolved murders in some of my classes there. It's all just really interesting. Um, I don't know, maybe if it's more of like the psychology of like why someone would do this or I don't know what part of it really interests me, but something just draws me into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and for you that don't know, Trey is my son, my only child. Um, I'm Sherry Carroll. I'm uh, 49 years old. Um, I've kind of done a little bit of it all. I was a 911 dispatcher 
once upon a time. I also owned a hair salon, did hair for over 20 years. Um, I've also been a makeup artist. I studied a little bit in um, special effects makeup. Uh, now I work um, in uh, a, a tire factory. So I just kind of wanted to get out of retail and uh, I like the shifts that I work now. Um, I've been married for 23 years. My son is 21. Um, I like being able to have a little bit more time at home. True crime has always fascinated me. Uh, but the reason that I want to do this is I, I like to look into um, the, the fact that the families need justice. And I want to be a voice for the ones who didn't have a voice. And around our little area here in South Alabama, the Wiregrass, um, really there's a lot of crimes that, you know, don't make the national news. Um, and I want to bring awareness to some of that as well. You know, I know Trey's fascinated by a lot of the, old crimes like what was the one you were talking about um the uh the farm in germany yeah Hinter <laughs> i'm like I, I i don't even know any crimes in germany so <laughs> but uh, anyway let's give a little bit of backstory on this and um lead up to episode two well, to go off of like what you're saying about crimes around here not really making the headlines the last crime i can think of well besides the prison breakout earlier this year yeah the only other crime i can think of in like recent history of ours from here that's made the news is when um that boy in what was it daleville that was taken hostage back in like yeah midland city yeah midland city where yeah. he put the guy put him in like an underground underground bunker, bunker yeah the the um the school bus yeah, I remember writing thing. letters to him once he got out. Our school Sulcum made us write letters to him. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've, that's true. That's true. So, um, let's give a little bit of backstory. This will lead into episode two. Um, the Florida School for Boys, uh, which later became the now known famous uh, Arthur G. Dozier School for Boys opened January 1st, 1900 in Mariana, Florida, which, you know, Mariana is known for its agriculture, Chipola College. Um, you know, it's a, a, a quaint little community, got some beautiful uh, buildings, architecture. Um, when the school first opened, it was called the Florida State Reform School. Um, it was overseen by five commissioners that were appointed by then Governor William Dunnington Bloxham. Um, they operated the school and they were to make biennial reports to the legislator. Okay. Um, at some point after this, the commissioners were replaced by the governor and a cabinet of Florida acting as the Board of Commissioners of State Institutions. The name was changed in 1914 from the Florida State Reform School to the Florida Industrial School for Boys. Um, 
and to make you aware, these boys were used, you know, they weren't just sitting there in jail cells, right? Um, what do you think that they did, Trey? They were probably crammed into small rooms with like three or four beds each. Yeah. Well, it was a lot of them in these cottages and, and they had like buildings, um, like kind of like dorms, but it was open face dorms. Okay. Uh, open bed dorms, many beds. But what I'm talking about were they had to wake up and they were assigned kitchen duty. They were assigned yard duty, warehouse duty. They made bricks. They were, um, agriculture. They had to pick produce. Um, they had um, animals out there like pigs and livestock. Um, come to find out, they even um, let people in the community use them for their farms too. So a lot of people later said, you know, basically they were used like slaves. So, yeah, kind of like slaves. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going by what they said, but because, you know, this was years ago. Um, so it later became known as the Florida Industrial School for Boys. In 1955, a second location called the Florida School for Boys opened in Okeechobee, Florida. And in 1957, the Mariana location also changed its name to the Florida School for Boys. In 1967, the Mariana School changed its name for the final time in honor of its former superintendent, and it became known as the Arthur G. Dozier School for Boys. Um, but Upon its opening, okay, this school was plagued with problems. Okay. Um, it opened again in 1900, January 1st, 1900. In 1903, an inspection reported that children were being kept in leg irons. In leg irons. What? What is that? leg irons like handcuffs for your legs <laughs> they were being kept in leg irons okay in 1914 six students and two staff members were killed in a dormitory fire the school was actually investigated six times during its first 13 years of operations for complaints and questionable inspection reports wow yeah um, 11 students were were reported to have died on the premises during the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic, but they were not named. How do you not name them? <laughs> exactly. So what type of record keeping is this for a state funded facility? Even then. Terrible record keeping. Okay, reports are a 13-year-old boy was sent to the school for trespassing and he died 38 days after his arrival. 
38 days. Exactly. Okay. Throughout its 111-year history, the school has gained a reputation for abuse, beatings, rapes, and torture, and even murder of students by staff. Despite its periodic investigations, changes of leadership, promises to improve, and the allegations of cruelty and abuse continued. Um, Let me just stop. And, you know, I should have said this up front. Um, This story may trigger some people. It has sensitive content. It will talk about abuse, torture, murder, rape of children. So, you know, I want to state that up front. I also want to state that um, nobody has been, like, formally charged as, you know, or arrested for the abuse of these children. They, um, you know, there will be some names in some of these reports, but nobody has actually served time or been convicted of these charges. So I will name that and state this at the beginning of every episode, but it does contain sensitive content. So I just want to go ahead and state that. Um, but again, you know, the allegations in, uh, of cruelty and abuse continued throughout this 11 year, uh, 111 year history. Um, all right, let me go ahead and give you a little bit of insight into the layout and structure of this place. Um, the Dozier School for Boys was an open campus, meaning that uh, it's nearly 1,400 acres. It uh, it didn't have any perimeter fencing. Um, even when it opened in 1900, it didn't have any fencing. Um, the kids, when they were brought up, many of them stated that it looked beautiful. Some of these kids were orphans. I mean, they said that this looked beautiful when they drove up. Pine trees, beautiful buildings. They thought that it was going to be, you know, a wonderful place that looked like heaven um when it opened it was divided into two sub campuses because of segregation the south side was known as number one was for white students and north side was known as number two it was for quote the colored students I don't like to say that, but I did use the quotes because in documentation on many state records, that's how it was stated back in the day. And we know that for this story's purpose, that was during the time of segregation. These areas were segregated until 1966. In 1991, the Northside campus was permanently closed. A cemetery was located on the north side number two campus, and it was called Boot Hill Cemetery. Now, this is the part. (laughs) Oh, this is the part that infuriates me. Most of the graves are unmarked. 
Wow. Yeah. Um, and records of many of the documented 100 students who died there at Dozier were non-existent and lacking. So they weren't like by non-existent. There's no record of them no, in the government no, or anything. No, no. Uh-uh. So again, how can the state of Florida or any state, let's just go ahead and throw that out there. Any state fund a project with such poor management and accountability and worse how can we the people the taxpayers allow children and allow our tax dollars to go towards harming children under the guise of reform with no accountability that's kind of like what it was like in the auburn and pennsylvania system of the prison we promised to rehabilitate and reform the prisoners but instead we were just making their health worse because we didn't give them any form of interaction. We just sent them off and basically said, yeah, you're going to go to prison and you're going to work. Exactly. Exactly. There are no repercussions for the wrongdoings themselves. I mean, it reeks of scandal and someone lying in their pockets. I'm sorry. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Um, In 2011, the University of South Florida began an extensive forensic investigation on the premises after Dozier shut down. Um, In a 2014 report, it stated that the buried remains of 55 students were found, including remains found outside the cemetery boundaries, in the woods, and in the brush areas surrounding the school. Through the use of DNA, the state has been attempting to identify them, but many have remained unidentified. If you don't have any records of them, you're not going to know who they are. Exactly. The and many of them have died off. I mean, you don't know what years. I mean, this was open for 111 years. Some of the parents went looking for their children or contacted them looking for their children and were told their children just ran away. I mean, there were mothers, some siblings have come forward and, you know, where am I, where's my brother, you know, and they, they were like, they ran away. That's all they were told. They ran away. An 11 room concrete block detention building containing two cells, one for the white children, again, one for the black boys, um, was constructed in 1929. It was a house for, it was to house incorrigible or violent students. The students called it the White House. This place, this horrible place, was the site of beatings of the students before before corporal punishment was abolished at the school in 1967. In 1982, an inspection revealed that boys were, quote, this is a quote, hogtied and kept in isolation for weeks at the time, at a time. This was a state report. Hogtied and kept in isolation for weeks at a time. The ACLU filed a lawsuit, and again, Dozier was still in business and housed approximately 105 students between the ages of 13 and 21. 
That's sad. Federal lawsuits concerning the school's conditions resulted in the Department of Justice's monitoring Florida's juvenile justice system began it began in 1987. Yeah. Um, federal lawsuits concerning the school's conditions resulted in the Department of Justice's monitoring Florida juvenile justice system beginning in 1987. So you think you think that it needs a, a special system monitoring it? Um in 1994, the newly created Florida Department of Juvenile Justice took over the management of Dozier. Finally, you know. And it monitored Dozier until its closing in 2011. By this time, it housed 135 inmates. Many of the boys there were convicted convicted of rape or commit or of committing lewd acts on other children. Following allegations of abuse to inmates, the acting superintendent and another employee were fired in 2007. This led to the state officially acknowledging the abuses that had taken place there over the years and a group of adult survivors who had been held there in the 50s and 60s were speaking out to the press about their abuse. They were known as the White House Boys. I cannot wait to tell all of you about some of these men and their their group. They are truly amazing. Um, Their bond is like none other that I've seen. Their story has touched me, and I will go to battle with them and for them. So anyway, guess what? What? In 2009, the school failed another annual inspection. How many times can they (laughs) fail one before something happens? I know, I know. So uh, they found that the school failed to properly deal with numerous complaints by the boys in lockup, including, but not limited to mistreatment by the guards again and other problems. Shocker. I know. Florida state uh, representative Daryl Rosen said this system was struggling to move on from a longstanding quote Culture of violence and abuse. You don't say. Yeah. In the late 20th century, former students who had been held at the school in the 50s and 60s, the White House boys began to share their accounts of abuses they had suffered and observed against other students. This group known as the White House boys they come together, they speak out, they have a group on Facebook, which they've allowed me in. Um, by the early 21st century, there were about 400 members, survivors of this school from the 50s and 60s. Uh, since the early 2000s, members of this group began to speak publicly about their experiences 
to the media and they have challenged the state to investigate the tortures, the practices of abuse and, uh, and practice um, the, the teachings of the personnel there at the school. Um, more than 300 of these men have recounted their stories of abuse at the school. Um, the survivors have had some internal struggles and they have set up numerous websites. Um, In 2009, the Florida School for Boys was the subject of an extensive special report for their own good. It was published by the St. Petersburg Times. It was an uh, allegations focusing on the 1960s, and it included claims that one room was used for whipping the white boys and the other room was used for whipping the black boys. Um, now this is some where I hear some differences, some variations in times because one report, I see that it was fully segregated until 66. Um, this, uh, documentary, uh, or special report says that it was fully segregated into 68. So, you know. You, you look at different sites, you see different dates. So, uh, again, for for their own good, says that it was fully segregated until 68. So I'm going to just state that here because that's what it says. The earlier report I had said 66. So the whippings were carried out by the guards using a three-foot-long belt made of leather and metal and the beatings were so severe that the victim's underwear became embedded in the skin. One former student said that he had seen a boy trapped in a running laundry dryer at the school and he suspected that the boy was killed. Another former student said he was punished at the White House 11 times, receiving a total of more than 250 lashes. Others alleged that they were whipped until they lost consciousness and that the punishments were made harsher for the boys who cried. Wow. Some alumni also stated that there was a rape room at the school and that the boys were sexually abused by the guards. The complainant said that some were as young as nine years old. Um, I was asked why and what reasons boys were sent to the school back during these times. Um, running away, you could be sent to the school. Um, tardiness, uh, truancy, theft, um, fighting, but this one really gets me. 
uh, I mean, you know, any of the crimes you could go. But this one right here really gets me. There was a, a, a law on the books. Little boys could be sent to the school for being incorrigible. Wow. Incorrigible. Now, at some point in time, all of us have been incorrigible. I mean, you know. I know I was. I know you were. <laughs> I know you were. Um, in February 2010, the White House boys filed a class action lawsuit for damages against the state of Florida, but it was dismissed by a judge in Leon County, Florida, because the statute of limitations had run out for such a suit, which just drives me insane because is there a statute of limitations when you were just tortured by these people. I'm sorry. I'm just, I didn't mean to be, but I'm just so mad when you were tortured by these people who were paid by the state to take care of you. Is there a statute of limitations for the mental anguish and physical and mental abuse that you suffered at the hands of these people that were paid by the state? And the fact that no one probably if their parents ever came to like see them or anything, the fact that no one probably believed them when they told them what was going on either. Exactly. Exactly. It's just ridiculous. A bill introduced in the 2012 session of the Florida legislator to provide compensation to victims of abuse at the school failed to pass. In 2017, the state officials apologized to about two dozen survivors and families and in 2018, the legislator was considering bills to provide compensation funds for a memorial and to create a task force to determine where to bury unclaimed remains found during a three-year investigation. After the land was gifted to Mariana, a study became mandatory from the EPA, which quickly found over two dozen more graves. Because of questions about the number of deaths at the school and a high number of unmarked graves, the state authorized a forensic anthropology survey by the University of South Florida in 2012, and they identified 55 burials on the grounds, most outside of the cemetery, mind you, and documented nearly 100 deaths at the school. The state said it did not have the authority to allow exhumation of graves, which would permit determination of the cause of death and identification of the remains. In addition, it wanted to sell the land on the property. A family member of the student who died at the school in 1934 and who wanted to re-enter his remains filed a suit and gained an injunction against the state moving ahead with the sale before the remains could be exhumed and identified. The state responded to the court injunction and authorized more work by a multidisciplinary team from the University of South Florida, including exhumations. And in January 2016, the USF team issued its final report, having made seven DNA matches and 14 presumptive identifications of remains. They will continue to work on identification, but there were three times as many black students as white students 
that were that had died and were buried at Dozier. Now, having said all that, I spoke with Miss um, Babs Cooper, who doesn't do interviews. Her husband, Jerry Cooper, was uh, the president of the White House Boys. He passed on May the 14th before I got to interview him, which totally breaks my heart. I have watched him in several um, interviews, read several interviews by him. Um, He fought for these boys in these unmarked graves. The state wanted to just take them back to, to this site the unidentified boys and just put them right back there. He said, not no, but hell no. You're not putting them back there on the grounds where they were tortured, beaten, and killed. They don't deserve that. They deserve better than this. Um, He went to Tallahassee. Babs was there with him. The White House boys fought. No. You're not doing this. Um, But by the same token, all of these boys deserve better than this. All of them. But somebody's got to be a voice for these boys who can't speak for themselves, too. Um, After a passage of resolution by both houses of legislators on April 26, 2017, Florida held a formal ceremony to apologize personally to two dozen survivors of the school and to families and other victims, you know, because, and I'm sorry, makes it all better. I mean, it's a start, but there's so much more that they could do than just giving out and I'm sorry and handshake. Well, I'm sure you saw my eye roll, you know. (laughs) Yeah, you know. It's it's a start, but I mean even even if they did anything, I mean it's still, like, even if they did give out, like, money or reparations or anything, I mean, it's still 75 80 years too late at first inspection, something that should have been done. Exactly. But no matter what, they're always going to get criticism. Even if they did do that. I I agree. They're going to be criticized because, you know, it's it's too late, but the continuation (laughs) as when they had 13 in the first was it three years? No, I, I agree. Yeah. That it should it should have been stopped a long time ago. But no matter what, at this point, they're gonna they're gonna get criticism because some people are gonna say, "Oh, they're trying to do it to make themselves look good," or and regardless of whether they're doing it for the right reasons or not. Yeah. Um. And 
2018, bills were being considered to provide some compensation to victims and their descendants and possibly as scholarships for children. Notice I said being considered, okay? In 2019, during preliminary survey, uh, during a preliminary survey work for a pollution cleanup, a further 27 suspected graves were identified by ground-penetrating radar. Many people, including former detainees, believe that over 100 bodies were buried on the school grounds and that further investigation should be done until all remains have been identified and cared for. Okay, so notice I said, said being considered. It didn't pass. Um, all of the um, senators, the state reps, voted yes, except for one. And he was the closest one to Mariana, the man, uh, I cannot remember his name, there in Panama City, voted no. He said he did not believe all of that abuse took place, and he doesn't believe all those men were abused. Sir, I'm sorry. You've got unnamed bodies of little boys buried what more do you need, sir? You've got men standing there crying, telling you the name of the guards who beat them. Some of them with scars on their back. You can't see the scars of mental abuse. So what more do you need? Everybody else voted yes. You were the long vote no. So what more do you need? You can't see the scars of mental abuse, but you can see the scars of physical abuse. And I guarantee you every single one of them has it, has them. And for there to be over 20 unnamed bodies, not, I'm sorry, but you oh, need they to got it. A, a, there's more than 20. There's, there's over 100. Like, it doesn't take much of a brain to figure out that something happened there. So... Uh, you know, I, it just leaves me baffled. It just leaves me uh, speechless. Um, going into episode two, um, I spoke with a White House boy, um, William Boggess. He now lives in Texas. Um, I'm going to try to see if I can get him on a recording. Um, the interview I did with him on the phone was two hours um, and it was not recorded, but his story is remarkable. Um, and we're going to do a little bit of um, further investigation. Trey, I know you are going to have some phone calls um, that you're making. Um, you said you were going to just, do a little bit of investigation to see. Um, um, I'm going to do a little bit more investigation into who Arthur Dozier was and why they just, I know he was like the former superintendent, but why they decided to name the school after him. Um, 
I'm going to do what I can before I go back to school because I'm leaving mm -hmm. next Friday or Saturday to go back. So, mm -hmm. And um, I know you said you were going to find out if um, any anyone ever um, was written up or lost their job. I know that it says here that one employee was fired, was fired but that was in the 2000s. So it may be hard to find a record from earlier than that. Mm -hmm. So, um, but anyway, we're going to end episode one there, but episode two is going to be a little bit of um, what I discovered from talking with William Boggess and uh, a little bit more um, on the times of the White House boys during the White House era um, and why, um, you know, why this this time period is so significant. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, this is um, this is the critical because right now we're losing a lot of the White House boys. You know, um, several of them have passed on um, due to health issues um, and they've had they've had a traumatic life. They've had a traumatic life. Um, so my wish is for you, the listeners, even if you're not in the state of Florida. Email, call, write to the Florida legislators, senators, representatives, governor, ask them to put that bill in place to compensate these men who were boys at the Florida School for Boys, the Dozier School. Compensate them. Compensate their wives, their children, because I promise you, for some that abuse didn't end there at that school. That abuse carried over. I guarantee you it carried over it. That it's happened at every prison where abuse has taken place. They they carry that home. Some of them probably carry that home and abuse their wives and children. Some of them have lived with nightmares, night terrors. And I know from stories I was told that some of them in their final days, they went back to that place. And what a terrible, terrible thing to spend your final days reliving the worst days of your life instead of thinking about the best. So anyway, best wishes. Thanks for listening to episode one. Can't wait to see you on episode two. Subscribe, like, share, leave a review. Can't wait to see you on episode two. Thank you for listening. <laughs>